0: Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. My name is Brett Geida, and I am your host. I've really come to love the absurdity and randomness that the internet can deliver on a daily basis. I mean, you just never know when you're going to wake up and one day no one can agree if a dress is white and gold or blue and black. And simultaneously, there are a bunch of llamas running amok in Arizona. Yes, that was the same day. And as these stories fly through our feed, I often find a specific human behavior at play. Our tendency to jump. Not around like House of Pain asked us to, but to jump to conclusions. Wait a second. Isn't this episode releasing on St. Patrick's Day? Oh well, we gotta drop it. I mean, at least a few bucks. Jump around. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Also, Nick has informed me that a lot of you may not get this reference, and that's okay. But I digress. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How we jump to conclusions on the internet. For example, a few weeks back, I woke up, and there was this... Ever wonder where these New York City subway cars end up once they're taken out of service for good? You might be surprised to know they're shipped out to sea and dumped in the Atlantic Ocean. To be accurate, I didn't actually wake up and see this video. I woke up and I saw a post in my Facebook newsfeed sharing the story. Now, full disclosure, the article title was a little bit clickbaity stunning photos showing NYC subway cars being dumped into the ocean. But still, what I found interesting was the negative comments I saw some people write under this story as it got shared on Facebook. A few of them were, disgusting, I hope they prosecute the people who did it. No hiding it, the ocean is one giant dumpster, just a matter of time when the oceans will be free of life. And as if our oceans aren't polluted enough, freaking idiots. Now many of you might know this story. Here's a bit more of the specifics. It might sound like a pretty heinous act of pollution, but in reality, the subway cars create coral reefs, fostering new life on the ocean floor. So rather than this being a story about polluting and killing, it is a story about recycling and life. Look. I'm not here to call out anyone who might have commented on this specific story without reading it first, because, though in this case I did read it prior to commenting, I have definitely been guilty of speaking without all the facts. And as we will see in this episode, we've all been guilty of speaking without really knowing. This is how it sometimes plays out for us. We see something, instantly decide what it means, immediately form an opinion, and in many cases start defending it all within seconds all without either caring if we have the majority of information or not realizing how influenced our minds are by our biases. You see, this doesn't just happen online. We see it in the media, around water coolers, in business meetings, over drinks, around friends, with family. All. The. Time. So why is this? Why will we position ourselves and fight for something that so often we are ignorant towards? What convinces us we know and what can help us understand that perhaps we don't? And what if the more knowledge you have, the more susceptible you are to being ignorant? Look, our brains are pretty awesome. Daniel Kahneman is a 2002 Nobel Prize winner, best known for his work on the psychology of judgment and decision-making. In 2011, he released the best-selling book, Thinking Fast and Slow. In the book, Kahneman analyzes dichotomy between the two different ways the brain forms thoughts, what he calls system one, or intuition, which is subconscious, fast, instinctive, emotional, and system two, or reasoning, which is conscious, slower, more deliberate, and more logical. Let's learn a little more about these characters in our minds. System one is like a mix between an action hero and an athlete running downhill. Speed, decisiveness, power, instinct, confidence, Using System 1, we are computers moving at light speed. Its ability has also been termed thin slicing, making very quick decisions with minimal amounts of information. It is using System 1 that, for example, we know if our husband or wife are upset within five seconds of being on the phone with them. We choose not to hit a tennis ball coming at us at 100 miles per hour because we perceive it as out. Or we completely change directions in a sales pitch, sensing the mood in the room. The amount of calculations made in a millisecond in all those examples is staggering. And this is the work of our intuition. System 1. System 2 is evolutionarily recent and specific to humans. It is also known as the rule-based system, the rational system, and the analytical system. This is what we normally think of as thought in the strictest sense. It is deliberate and conscious, and we naturally feel as though we are in control of it. It performs the more slow and sequential thinking. It weighs the pros and cons before making a decision, or processes information in order to solve complex problems. This is the work of our reasoning, system two. So two systems, very different, and it's pretty awesome to recognize that you have this tag team working in your mind to figure things out and make decisions. However, this starts to sound less awesome when you look under the hood of System 1's approach. We discover that its commitment to providing you with an instant answer takes precedent over its commitment to providing you with an accurate one.
1: They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense.
0: If finding an optimal solution is impossible or impractical, your mind will use mental shortcuts to speed up the process. It will evoke cognitive biases, beliefs based off of previous experiences and information, and it will use this fiction as if it were fact. These glitches in our thinking cause us to make questionable decisions and reach faulty conclusions. These biases are system one's bad habits. So what are some of these bad biases? Well, there are literally hundreds of them. And as society grows, so does the list. Now of those hundred, there are definitely some more prominent ones. This is what a few of them might sound like if they were, hmm, let's say, a Saturday Night Live commercial parody from the early nineties. Bad bias genes. Since we talked about segues last week, I saw one at the airport, two at the ball game, and a bunch of articles on them. They're everywhere. I decided to invest our entire retirement savings into the company. Observational Selection Bias Yeah, we were going to go to Mexico for vacation, but they kidnap you and hold you for ransom. And who wants to be kidnapped on vacation? Negativity Bias I just met the guy, but we're both Berkeley alumni, A's fans, and love Dave Matthews. I've got two kidneys, and he needs one. So I figured in-group bias. This fortune teller knew that I had a box of old, unsorted photographs in my house and that I was having problems with a friend or relative. So when she said I was supposed to sign over my life insurance policy to her, I just did. The four effect. Bad bias genes. (laughs) The most insidious feature of these cognitive failures is that we have no way of knowing that they're happening. We almost never catch ourselves in the act of making intuitive errors. We don't recognize them. Now, before you throw your hands up and say, ah, man, we're screwed. Remember, we also have the slow thinking and methodical system two. And it can be used to monitor the quality of the answers provided by system one. We can slow things down, examine when necessary, hold things up, turn them around, look for nicks, dents, and imperfections. And surely, Using System 2, we can tell the difference between what are facts and what's fiction. And that is our saving grace. Well, actually, not quite. Now, system two is capable of overriding the impressions of system one. As a matter of fact, with enough practice, things that once required a lot of thought become instinctual. Think of great jazz musicians or athletes who are able to quickly process large amounts of data in an instant and blow us away with complex melodies or amazing plays. But that's a level of deliberate practice that we don't apply to a wide spectrum of actions and decisions in our daily life. And so while system two is capable of avoiding the errors, it is often completely unaware that it's being misled. System two is a bit wet behind the ears in this matchup, and if we're being frank, system one is more than just slick; it's devious, even a tyrant at times. Here is the author of Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman, on the Charlie Rose show. And it's not that people go to war because of reasons. You know, it really very often works the other way around. We go to people war because people want to of- go to war and then they find the reasons. Oh. Then system two is become the slave of system one. Oh. And that happens a great deal. And this is where things can get really scary, especially if you're someone who wants to do the right thing, be kind, be considerate. You really need to understand that there are some pretty big potential blind spots for you. We walk around life thinking that we know what's best for us, but we don't really, we don't know. I mean, we make our best guesses, and those guesses are educated ones, often based in a lot of knowledge and experience, but there is no way of knowing which choice will lead us where, and we never really know how much our biases are playing tricks on us. So then, when I witness people thinking that they know what's best for others, well that just seems incredibly arrogant, not to mention ignorant. Now, I'm not talking about situations like telling my three-year-old that he shouldn't touch a hot stove. I'm talking about when you are interacting with other evolved cognitive beings in your life that have their own knowledge and experiences to pull from, and you think you know better. To be clear, I'm not saying that you do or don't. I'm just saying you can't know. So whatever action you take, whatever words you speak, filter them through the realization that this is just your opinion. And you've got all these little munchkin biases in your head telling you what's what. And each of them has their own belief system. And each of them are 100% sure. I mean, crystal clear, no doubt, that they are right. And we now know that even your conscious, rational mind can't tell the difference sometimes. So what do we do about it? Well, let's go to the source. Our resident expert and Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman.
2: You need to recognize this is a
0: situation which requires I'm prone to error. This is a situation. And how do you discover that? It's very hard to do, and I'm not terribly optimistic about people, you know, yeah. becoming very good at it. Say what? Again, you may want to throw in the towel here, but hold up. He does go on to say that while we are not able to eliminate them, we can work to minimize their impact. We do this by getting to know our biases so we can slow ourselves down in situations where we perceive we're susceptible and lean on good old system two more. I see this as an advocacy for self-development, self-awareness. You must do the work to become more aware of your own thinking and reasoning. This can be done through working with a great coach, interactive courses, meditation, therapy, any practice that has an aspect of reflection in it. The other thing you can do is get other people involved. The fact that individuals are often not aware of their own biases does not mean that biases cannot be reduced with the support of others. In other words, we can use our System 2 to spot System 1 errors in the thoughts and decisions of others. Warning, confirmation bias alert. We love to surround ourselves with people who agree with us. That is why we only digest media that shares our political and social opinions and mostly hang out with people who hold similar views and tastes. This can often result in groupthink, herd mentality, and feeling like you are being so open and flexible when you are really being completely closed and positioned. If you are going to successfully utilize others as a check and balance system for your biases, you must have variety in those groups of people, including people who veer from your beliefs, differ in your position, and vary in levels of investment and values. And maybe even some, actually not maybe, probably for sure, some people that you don't even like. So remember that white and gold dress we mentioned at the beginning of the show? Or was it blue and black? In life, you will often be as sure about what you are doing and why you are doing it as people were sure that dress was white and gold, as others were sure that dress was blue and black. The day that dress was flying across the internet, writer and actress Rashida Jones had a great tweet. She wrote, what genius pulled off this elaborate metaphor just to teach us the importance of tolerating other perspectives. Now, in this case, we know the dress was actually black and blue, but the world doesn't work that way most times. Most times, there is no definitive answer. So before you jump, take a moment to consider that all your thoughts and feelings carry with them biases. You need to navigate the best decision for each situation while incorporating not just how you see it, but often how others see it, and maintaining the health of all the relationships involved. Because the most dangerous cognitive bias of all is naive realism. Believing you are immune to all this, that you have no biases. That is the only place where you truly have no control and no perspective on the truth.
2: Hi, I'm Nick Jaworski, and we're going to take you right back to our scheduled programming in about 60 seconds. But we're in the middle of our semi-annual rate and review drive here at WTS, and we need your help. Did you know that the United States government contributes zero dollars to support where there's smoke? That means that we get no revenue in the support of your tax dollars. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can something so important, how can something that is a bedrock of our society and culture... How are we not all chipping in to support it? And I know that may be surprising, but it's true. And the truth is that we're able to stay on the air through the generous ratings and reviews of viewers just like you. Each rating and review bumps Where There's Smoke up the iTunes charts and exposes the show to more listeners. And this is where we need your help. How can you support Where There's Smoke? Well, the phones are ringing off the hook right now, but you, you can simply type the words Where There's Smoke into iTunes, Click on that lovely WTS logo, then click Ratings and Reviews, and then just write a review. It's just that simple. We're at 106 written reviews right now. We're so close. We'd love to reach our goal of 115 by next Tuesday. So just go to iTunes right now, leave a written review, and we'd we'd, we'd appreciate your help. As an added bonus, if you rate and review now, within the next 30 minutes, you'll receive the best of where there's smoke. That's 90 minutes a special WTS content that comes on cassette tape or disc. So
0: rate and review now. And thanks. Today's interview is with Bassam Tarazi. I could introduce Bassam in many ways. Let me throw a few out there. He's an author, an entrepreneur. He helps companies and people finish what they start. He's traveled to 66 countries. I'd use words like intense energy, fun connection, accountability, and caring to paint a picture of him. And in his words, he once said to me, A lot of people try to change the world. I just try to change the moment I am in. I love this guy. We have great conversations. Last week, I rang him to discuss the topic of this week's show, and I really feel the conversation adds so much value to today's topic because the topic is big and it's dense. And I think in this conversation, you'll hear more of the humanity of it, how it applies to you, and what are some of the things you can be doing. As we dive in, we're discussing the dichotomy between our two thought processes. So yes, I can in, a, in an instant, I can make a decision and I can thin slice something and that's incredibly powerful. But in an instant when I'm making that decision, my confirmation bias is always at play. So how do we know? <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, you're right. there is there is that always tug and pull, right. So let, let's go let's go farthest, you know, uh, let's say worst case scenario, right There's you hear a rustle in in the leaves and you think, okay, is that a lion or is that the breeze, right? You're mm-hmm. gonna thin slice in that second, and your brain's going to say, well, let's just guess it's the lion so that we don't go out there and get hurt, right? So, you know, because if you said, "Ah, it's just the breeze every time, it's just the breeze, I'm not going to process this information, it's fine. I'm going to go out." Well, that could be danger. So, there you have thin slicing. There you have your body just just kind of reacting. How do you know the difference, right? So, confirmation bias is also something called uh, we can look at something called um a positive illusion. A positive illusion is we convince ourselves all the time that we're doing more than we are, or that we're always right. So, if you get in a fight with your significant other, you're going to tell your friends, or I'm going to tell my friends, Isn't she crazy? Right? You know, I did this, isn't this, this? And then she said this, She's crazy. Yeah, she's crazy. Meanwhile, your significant other is telling a completely different version of the story to her friends and being, Yeah, that guy's crazy. And because re- the reason is, is when we go to bed at night, we don't want to think we're we're idiots. You know, when we, cl- when we close our eyes at night, we want to know, Hey, I did pretty good today. You know, I, I like myself in my head. And I'm going to keep going tomorrow. So, because if we always thought that we were wrong, or if we lost our confidence very easily, or if we just, man, maybe everyone's right. Maybe I am a loser. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not going to amount to anything. Well, then we would not amount to anything because we wouldn't be able to convince ourselves that we could, even against all odds. Look at starting a company. I mean, starting a company is really the craziest thing you can do. It's probably not going to work out. That's what the numbers say. <laughs> probably not going to work out. And yet, everybody says but maybe maybe mine will right and you have to believe that cuz if you don't no one would ever start so for me i kind of think that i call it up periscoping i think you got to put your head down right i mean this this world is like we're driving around in a submarine we don't have radar but we have sonar so we can ping and say, Hey, if I jump out this window, it's probably not going to be a good idea, right? I, I can decipher that this is pretty stupid and we can figure that out in business and life, whatever the, whatever they're jumping out of the window. But we have, so we have sonar, but every now and then, like I myself on the first of every month, I up periscope. And what that means is I write, I have a 30 minute just raw writing session. How was my last month personally, professionally, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a way for me to assess. What's going on? Have I been delusional over the past month? You know, have I really been working as hard as I say I was? What is my output? And then I can be a little bit more critical. But I don't know if a periscoping would work every day. Sometimes you just need a little bit of delusional momentum, maybe as sick as that sounds.
0: How can we train ourselves to up periscope in the moment? Which you're right. Right. It's very, very difficult. But at the same time, our brains are so amazing that I could probably do it in about one second. If we just actually took one second before we answered, let's say, and said, wait, up periscope. No, I don't think I want to do that. You know, you could probably, you're you're so right. I mean, it's that there was, um,
1: I forget who it was. I'm going to throw this out there is either the CEO of Honda or Toyota. I forget which one, but he said he had hired a business coach and he said he paid the guy, whatever, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. And he said, you know what his best advice was? The thing that sticks with me every day is that before I make an important decision or an impulsive decision, just close my eyes and take six deep breaths. And maybe that is the, the momentary up periscope, right? It's just yeah. that, I mean, it takes a long time to take six breaths. Obviously, it's not taking the whole day, but when you want to react, it is a long moment. And then all of a sudden, everything changes, right? Because what can we control? We can't control much in life. The only thing we can control is what we put in our body and how we react to things out of our control that's real right yeah. like if i go down to catch a subway i'm like god damn it the subway's late i'm really late like to work where is this freaking subway what's well maybe i woke up late you know my my anger in that moment isn't going to pull the subway any faster but i can choose my reaction so you're right there are momentary up periscopes and i think the issue is, is we are an emotional being and we are a rational being and there is always that that fight There was always that fight because if we up periscoped every second of the day, we probably wouldn't get much done. You know, it's like, "Mm, should I I put my left foot first or should I put my right foot first? Well, if I put my right foot first, that means I'm going to get to the curb and that's going to be, I'm going to be offset. Obviously, you can't do that. So like you're saying, if we could find a way to up periscope a little
0: more often in our days and in our reactions, it would probably do us a little bit better. At this point, I want to jump to another part of the conversation. We shifted gears and started talking about the impact of the people we surround ourselves with. I used an analogy that people sometimes think everyone's Facebook newsfeed is a town hall, you know, where everyone gets to have their say and people can evoke the freedom of speech card. But what if for some people, it's more like friends sitting around a kitchen table? And if one person is consistently overbearing, aggressive, annoying, whatever, you just don't want them there. You know, in real life, you'd ask them to leave and probably not invite them back again. So how do we keep the balance? What is the balance? Right. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. And I, and I think that that leads to one of
1: the studies in the books that said if someone goes to college and they are conservative, when they leave college, it'll be more conservative. And if someone goes to college liberal and when they leave college, they're going to be more liberal. And what that goes to show you is, like you said, you surround yourself with who you want to surround yourself with, right? It's a, it's an example of social proofing that the number one reason anyone does anything is because someone else is doing it. So, we want to fit in. We want to be part of a culture. I think it was, um, in Dan Pink's book that he talks about a study that was done that the three pillars of intrinsic happiness were autonomy. Uh, we don't want to be enslaved. That makes sense. Uh, second one is relatedness, right? We want to have things in common with people. It's, oh, you root for the same team. We're from the same town. We think the same things that binds us together. So if you're, if the only people you surrounded yourself with disagreed with you, then in times of leaning on what you know and what's comfortable, those people aren't comfortable for you. So I do think, like you said, when you're analyzing it like a kitchen table, then that's what, you know, that, that's your raw kind of experience, right? I mean, that, those are the people you trust the most and those are your inner circle. So those people are more than likely going to think like you or you're going to want them to think like you because you're going to want their support. You know, when you've had a tough day or or you've had a disagreement at work, you don't want to come home and to the person you trust the most. They're like, yeah, you're actually wrong. I I totally agree with your boss every time or or with your friend. But I think when we have a steady dose of comfort um you know it's like we have to be comfortable with uncertainty we have to seek discomfort but only when we've had a fill of comfort you know we've we kind of have to we kind of have to trip that trigger of hey i'm 80 comfortable now everything feels pretty good maybe i should go get a little uncomfortable maybe i should go talk you know what i mean yeah but i think it's really hard and one of the reasons why they say for instance uh people in poverty you know a lot of people say hey how come they can't get themselves out of this why don't they just work hard well, because they're exhausted, they're exhausted of just of just connecting dots and putting food on the table that it's really hard to be creative. It's really hard to have a very intellectual conversation. It's really hard to push the outer boundaries and to get uncomfortable because you're so damn tired, you mm-hmm. know, at that point. So I do think that if, if we are sitting on our laurels and we have everything we want, that if we just have yes men around us, then we're going to be very uninteresting. Right. So. There is that balance. Maybe it is the 80-20 balance, like always seems to fit this world that, hey, if you're 80% comfortable, make sure you have some friends and or you're in, in, in some dinner conversations that are a bit uncomfortable. So I think when you have a dose of comfort in you, like you say, you got you to gotta put your hand in your other pocket and see what rocks are in there and figure out that discomfort. And you can have a lot of people around you who think the same way as you as long as maybe you're doing, you're challenging yourself in your life, whether it's writing a book or whether it's, you know, you're learning to DJ, whether you're taking a pottery class, you know, as long as you're you're doing something, as long as you're pushing on your walls somehow, some way, you know, your perception is going to change. Or maybe you do everything the same, but you decide to throw a dinner party every other week with some friends who maybe disagree with certain things and you guys just want to talk about politics or life or something like that. Okay, well, that's a little bit of a dose of discomfort. And um it's probably going to serve you for the
0: better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. That's a, I like that. That's a great idea. So, let me ask you a question that I often ask my guests, which is, you know, this idea that the show's called Where There's Smoke, right? So, where there's smoke, mm-hmm. there's fire. And one of the things I wanted to do on the show is is to look at things, but maybe not talk about what everyone else is talking about, or look at something and, you know, just like we're saying, let's get beyond my perception of it and look underneath and what's really there. And so on on this this topic this idea of perception and this idea of you know confirmation bias and surrounding ourselves with you know people that that either you know make us feel comfortable or challenge us wherever it is in in these topics we've discussed if i were to ask you like what is it in in some of these areas what is it that you think people really aren't seeing and oftentimes what I, what i think the real question is is what are some of the costs that people aren't even aware of, or that you think people maybe aren't aware of as they should be around some of this stuff?
1: I I think it comes down to what you touched on earlier is that we, we lose a sense of, of hyper awareness. You know, if we're not hyper aware of, of, of what we're doing, we're just kind of this leaf on this river and it's just shrugging our shoulders and okay, I guess I'm at this job because I was here and, I don't know, I can't really do anything else, right? You become this, I don't know, reactionary lemming at times. And I, I just think that's very, very risky, especially living, I'm guessing the majority of the people listening to this podcast live at a time and in a place that, that we have choice to make different choices in life. I think the, the, the risk is that we end up becoming a victim. Mm-hmm. We end up victimizing ourselves. Uh, and there's really no out from self-induced victimhood. You know, as soon as somebody says, well, I can't because X, right? Because they claim it's their disposition and not their situation. It's really hard to get them out of it, right? I can't do this, Brett, because I'm not as smart as you done. You know, not, hey, what were the things that helped you get to where you got to, Brett? You know, what would you advise to be the first step? So perception is, is a crazy thing. And I think you and I would both say that sometimes you just, sometimes, sometimes you have a bad day and, like I like to call 5 a.m., I call it demon hour. When you wake up about an hour before your alarm goes off and you're half dreaming, half reality, and the wheels come off. I mean, am I good enough? What am I doing with my life? Blah, 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 And you have to sometimes sit up and say, hold on a second, hold on a second. That That's not reality. I need, I need to. That's just my perception in this moment. So I, I really do think the risk of not being cognizant of these things is just this Feeling that one day, it's five years later. And I think nothing terrifies me more than that saying, that feeling. You know, You're some right. people would say, well, you know, well, how are you like?" I don't know. In the last five years, I don't
0: know what just happened. And, oh, that's terrifying. I actually really like the... Uh the dinner party idea, the purpose. have the, I'll have two a month. I'll have one with people that I really, really like talking to and agree with everything and another one with people that tend to always disagree with everything I say.
1: Well, Brett, the first one you're going to want to have at home. The second one you want to have at a restaurant. So, <laughs> so if you're not that weak. happy, hey, guys, listen, I got to run. This has been great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we. I think, like you said, we do owe it to ourselves to get a little uncomfortable. You know, if everybody around you is thinking the same thing politically or 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 philosophically or spiritually you know that gets a little boring you want to have somebody scratch the veneer of of our thoughts and and push us to a to to a to a new a new place yeah
0: um all right so i know you're you're up to a lot of different stuff and you've got a couple great books and other things if people who are listening wanted to learn more about you specifically where would you guide them
1: yeah, they can go to uh, two places, either myownname.com, which is com, which no one knows how to spell, uh, B as in boy, A-S-S-A-M as in Michael, T-A-R-A-Z-I.com, that has um, you know a lot of my personal stuff, or if they go to com, C-O-L-I-P-E-R-A, that middle letter was P as in Paul, whatever information they want about me can be found there.
0: Right on. Cool. And I'll put all that in the show notes. So anyone who didn't catch it or, or spells it wrong the first time can go there and <laughs> get it right the second time. Awesome. Well, listen, Basam, I appreciate you taking the time as we've uh, discussed already offline. Uh, you know, we always, we start talking and we just start talking. So I I, I know you're going to be on the show many more times, but we'll, uh, we'll always remember this as the first. So thanks for taking the time. All right. Take care. Hey, listeners, before we close out the show, I want to remind you of a couple of things we put out there into the zeitgeist in the past few weeks. Number one, the 21-day complaint-free challenge. Are you taking it on? Do you have something on your wrist right now? If so, post it on our Facebook page. Tag me in a tweet, at Brett Geida We'd love to hear about it. Share everything between your day ones to your day 21. And two, Pivotal Forces. Last week, we introduced the idea of people who changed the trajectory of your life through an act of kindness, ongoing support, or even the smallest act. It's been great to see people sharing on social media, and it would be so cool to see more. So, if you want to acknowledge someone who changed your life, use the hashtag Pivotal Forces. Hashtag Pivotal Forces on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Let them know through words, videos, or pictures that they made a difference in your life. Speaking of gratitude, let's close out today's show with a huge shout-out to you. Yes, you. We so appreciate you listening to the show, using your voice on and offline to share it with others, taking the time to rate and review it on iTunes, and reaching out to us through social media, email, voicemail, to let us know that we're making a difference. It means more than we know how to put into words. So for now, I hope you can just hear all the meaning in these two simple words. Thank you. Where There's Smoke is written and hosted by me, Brett Geida, and produced and edited by Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in a kick-ass keynote for an upcoming event, reach out to me. And if you want to make a kick-ass sounding podcast, reach out to nick at podcastmonster.com. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod. So something really, really cool happened last week, and it's definitely a first for me. Someone covered us. You know, like a musician covers other people's songs, but he covered one of our shows. A friend and listener reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, asked if he could use the Meaning of Life show to create a speech for his local Toastmaster group. He said he'd give us credit. I said, yeah, no problem. So long story short, he crushed it and he won speech of the night, bam. So I want to congratulate Sebastian Acosta for taking Kevin Hall's advice from a few shows ago and taking what he learns here on Where There's Smoke and teaching it to others. That is amazing. And a shout out to our new listeners in the Milton Toastmasters club, Welcome to the show. Feel free to cover us anytime. Some messages for a few iTunes reviewers from the past week. TVO321 from Canada. Some would say there are no accidents. And we are glad you found us too. 00Yogi from the USA. You are our 100th review in the US iTunes store. Cue the balloon drop. I also thought he summed up the show's value quite elegantly. Quote, click on it and drive, walk, sit, eat, snuggle, etc. Your way to expanding your heart and mind. Ah. And Xenobob2105 from the UK, thank you for your review and for your comments on Facebook. We love interacting there. Overall, we are so moved by the reviews. I wish I could read more of them and take all of you out to lunch to say thanks. Other ways you can connect with us. As I mentioned, we're on Facebook. Look up where there's smoke. Find me on Twitter, at Brett Gaida. Go to our website and leave a voicemail. Yes, a voicemail. Do you want 15 seconds of fame? I mean, all you have to do is say something mildly flattering and we're likely to put you in the show. Or you could ask a question. We love answering questions. You know, things like, what do you think is the biggest key to effective influencing? Should I marry this dude? Or who would win a fight between a Yeti and Bigfoot? Other amazing things you can do, email us at connect at where smoke.co. Join our mailing list with your phone right now. Text the word SMOKE to 66866 and you are in. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way. Go to our website at www.wherethere'ssmoke.co. And if you find yourself wondering where a crazy clip came from in an episode, you can find a link to the show notes on our website. And in the show notes, you'll find links to each and every clip. So wonder no more. Which brings us to both the clip of the week and our sign-off of the week. So Nick seems to think that only about seven listeners out there would get the connection between House of Pain and St. Patrick's Day. Personally, I think he's underselling our listeners. I think it's at least 23. Either way, I figured the people who got it are probably also some of the people who love our show enough to hang out to the very last note. So two things. Number one, if you got the reference, tweet me, Facebook us, email us, do something. I want to prove to Nick that there's more than seven House of Pain fans out there. And two, I give my Clip of the Week honors to House of Pains, jump around, and I wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day with a wee bit from the Muppets singing a version of Danny Boy.
2: Hi, Danny Boy! Hi, Danny Boy!
1: Oh, Danny boy. Oh, Danny boy.
0: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, Danny. <laughs> Go to the show notes and watch that whole clip. You will not be sorry you did. As the Irish say, Slan fó. Bye for now. We'll see you next week. <laughs>